Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome. PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we have, as usual, great waiver wire roundup ahead of you guys uh, for week 11. Here we go, guys. Stretch run only about, I believe, what, 11, 12, 13, 14, four more weeks until the fantasy football playoffs are officially upon us. This is when we got to go get those rosters in the best shape possible to go win a fantasy football championship. What else are we doing with our lives? helping me assisting me on the air with me as always in this lovely tuesday pfs finest nathan yonke nate what's going on man hey doing well had a fun full week of football have a bunch of rookie running backs doing well a bunch of wide receivers coming back from injury and unfortunately some tight ends who are now hurt yeah nate was saying before about half of you know the quality tight ends that we've come to know and actually expect some level of consistency have been getting hurt why god hasn't turned off injuries yet i still have no idea but to nate's point jaguars dolphins seahawks and buccaneers on by got some bad news about dallas goddard not sure if mark andrews is going to be back all that and so much more coming up for you guys but as we always do with this podcast before we get into week 11 the waiver wire stuff i do want to go ahead and break your hearts just one more time with the week 10 sheets report all the nullified touchdowns missed the missed big play opportunities and the stuff that probably made you cry over the weekend if you happen to see it and if you didn't i'm now here to bring up those demons and help you know just how close you might have been to actually winning that fantasy football game so starting things off nate i didn't have an actual she's player of the week i didn't see anyone out there that had just multiple instances of bad luck you know happening to him but the single she's play of the week easily has to go to brandon Ayuk, 49ers wide receiver had a ho-hum eight yard touchdown catch like there were bigger misplays throughout the week but my god the route that he was able to go out there and put on not just any cornerback but asante samuel jr literally if he would have caught this ball it would have gone in as one of the sickest routes of 2022 instead hit him in the chest fell to the ground incomplete pass again such a sick route and for the fact that it was also a drop touchdown on it you just hate to see it. Had two additional drop touchdowns on the week. Unfortunately, before the whole goal line madness with Josh Allen and the Vikings, Dalvin Cook was pretty damn wide open on fourth and goal from the one-yard line. Unfortunately, Kirk Cousins threw it behind him, forcing the drop. Luckily, there's an offside penalty, so Kirk Cousins got to go get stuffed himself on the next play. Anyway, also had Najee Harris get open on a wheel route. Best throw of the afternoon from Kenny Pickett. Hit Najee's outstretched hands. Unfortunately, could not reel it in, and it was officially charged as a drop. 
On the other side of things, handful of examples of pass catchers being open for a score. Unfortunately, the pass was not accurate enough for them to actually complete that process. Deontay Johnson, I bring his name up every single week, seemingly during the section. He had another issue here where basically open, sick double move, could have been a nice 30-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, Pickett did overthrow it. Now on the season, 81 targets without a touchdown for Deontay Johnson, easily the most in the NFL. Also have Broncos tight end Greg Dolchitz get pretty damn open down the middle of the field. Best case scenario, we're looking at a potential 67-yard touchdown. Worst case scenario, an incompletion or a you know 40-yard pass and Russ just puts it on him. Unfortunately, because we're talking about it, ball was overthrown and Dolchitz had his first dud of his NFL career. Also had Chargers wide receiver Josh Palmer get separation for 29 yards out, overthrown, and Texans wide receiver Chris Moore. All you Chris Moore fantasy managers out there could have had a 16-yard touchdown but overthrown. Two, nullified touchdowns, rightfully called, but still pretty annoying when you see those points on the board, only get taken off. Brandon Cooks had a 19-yard touchdown taken off the board due to a holding penalty. And Evan Ingram, another regular in this column, all she's tight end in the making, had a short goal line score taken off the board when it looked like one of the offensive linemen thought it was a run play and was pretty much, you know, in the end zone by the time the pass was completed. Two other penalty inflicted plays where defenders did a good job getting the penalty because they would have been a lot bigger plays had they not. Cowboys wide receiver Michael Gallup ran a sick double move. No safety help. I mean, over the top. We had one coming from the middle of the field. Maybe it would have been a 40, 50 yard gain instead of a 73 yard touchdown. Regardless, Rasul Douglas basically tackled Gallup after he bit on the first move. Ended up just being a five yard gain on a hold. And similar situation with Deontay Johnson where he runs a slam really had the cornerback on skates and it was bad enough that the corner fell down as he was holding Deontay, did just enough to hold up Deontay though. And because of that, the potential 74-yard house call ended up just being a five-yard holding penalty. Hate to see that couple instances of just things not going quite well enough to be a touchdown. That's why it's in the handy-dandy shoes report here. Scotty Miller ended up making a nice 22-yard catch. The problem was if he had just not jumped for a ball that really was going right at his chest, would have been a 27-yard touchdown. So I get it. Scotty Miller, house radius of a house cat and all that, but two straight weeks that he really should have had touchdowns. Unfortunately, here we are sheeshing. Packers wide receiver Christian Watson had the three touchdowns. Really could have had a fourth when Aaron Rodgers lofted a beautiful deep ball down on the sideline. Watson just lost in the lights, though. We're not going to overly criticize the rookie, though, after that. Again, amazing three-touchdown performance. Vikings tight end TJ Hawkinson open in the back of the end zone from nine yards out. Ball hit him in the hands. The problem was the defender was all over him, holding him, but didn't even get a penalty call. So just an unfortunate situation there. Vikings had to settle for a field goal. And finally, the Cardinals, man, John Wolford fumbled. Like it was overturned, ruled a fumble, but JJ Watt scooped and scored the touchdown that unfortunately, because they ruled it an incomplete pass originally before the review, they only got the ball where JJ picked it up instead of being the touchdown. And Nate, I don't know if you saw this, but there was actually just some random person on Twitter that added J.J. Watt and like, man, really wish we would have had that touchdown because the dude had a plus 36-30 parlay. I mean, big time numbers here. And he had a James Conner touchdown. He had another leg. And the third leg was a Cardinals defensive touchdown. J.J. Watt, I know at times can be cringy over the years, but he quote tweeted this and was like, I know, brother, we got robbed. And he said, shoot me your address. So I think J.J. Watt is actually going to pay out this guy's parlay so all-time cool guy move from jj watt and hey you know just getting some nice uh good vibes here from the shishas uh unrealized air yard leader of the week is mac hollins 119 unrealized air yards i'm sure you can guess who second place was kyle pitts with 
98. And finally, the following players were tackled at the one yard line and did not score on that drive. So we did have times like Josh Jacobs getting down to the one and then going to score. And we also had other guys, DeAndre Swift, among a couple others, get tackled at the two yard line. I did not count those. Everyone needs to have a line. My line is at the one yard line. So with that said, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, Elijah Mitchell, Jamal Williams, David Montgomery, James Cook, and Boston Scott. All players in week 10 got down the one yard line, unfortunately could not score and did not score on that drive. And with that, everyone, we are officially on to week 11. And Nate, big time waiver wire week. A lot of injuries and again, getting ready for this playoff push. So Always excellent top five waiver wire editions article. You have another uh, week 11 waiver wire article that's always out on Mondays, uh, you know, starting off the week. So you have everyone covered on pff.com. First, we're going to go through the top five overall waiver wire editions of the week before getting more into the nitty gritty positional stuff. So, number one ad is finally definitive Chiefs starting running back Isaiah Pacheco, still only owned in 23.2% of ESPN leagues. Now, Nate, the thing with Pacheco, we saw him get the report Sunday morning, you know, what was it? Week eight, I believe comes out there still a three headed committee. They have a week nine bye. okay. Or I'm sorry. I, think I, I got this off by one week. They came out of their bye after he had been named the starter before the bye, And we expected him to really take over. And that didn't happen. I think it threw us off the scent a little bit. We're used to seeing that post bye rookie bump. All of a sudden last week, second game after the bye, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, finally really did seem to be relegated right out of this committee. So, Nate, how confident are you that this really is now just the Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon show moving forward? Um, it seems pretty likely at this point. Edward Tolaire only played four snaps, didn't have any carries. I think he saw one target in his limited time. So I think they can really rely on Pacheco going forward. Kansas City has a relatively easy schedule the rest of the season. And they probably want to rest someone like McKinnon for the playoffs since he's more of a veteran. So might as well get more use out of the rookies and younger players now. Um, they should have a lead in a lot of these games. So Pacheco should be running the ball, not just early in the game, but a lot in the fourth quarters as well. So I think he's for sure the best waiver wire ad of the weekend. I think someone who can see 15 to 20 carries in most of these games for the rest of the season. You know, anyone that's watched the Chiefs game over the years knows that Andy Reid likes to dig maybe a little bit deeper into his bag of his tricks than he needs to once they get inside the five-yard line. I mean, the amount of shovel, like underhand passes, Travis Kelsey, Wildcat stuff, they do. You know, it really does uh, piss off a fantasy manager from time to time. And you do look at the stats, and the Chargers and Chiefs are the only two teams in the NFL throwing the ball on over 70% of their snaps inside their opponent's 10-yard line. So I get it, Isaiah Pacheco. I don't think he's going to have the same sort of upside as he might in a more run-heavy offense with the starting role. But at a minimum, Nate, like not having Clyde Edwards-Hilaire potentially in this equation, it shrinks the backfield from three to two, and that's all we can ask for with these running back committees in the year 2022. So in terms of this lineup here, Nate, because just spoiler, the top five, you know, waiver wire pickups, we got Pacheco, Rashad White at running back, and then we have Goff as our QB streamer. We'll get into that in a bit. Christian Watson as the wide receiver. I'm sure you could have guessed that. And then Cardinals tight end Trey McBride. So specifically, Typically, Nate, I mean, you have Pacheco as the number one ad. Would you be more willing for someone out there, just a, a needy roster all over the place? They have $50 of fab left. Are you confident putting all that on Pacheco, knowing that we wouldn't then be able to use that on White or Christian Watson? Um, if you're desperate enough for a running back and are fighting to make the fantasy playoffs, then definitely if you're more solid at running back or you're pretty set to make the playoffs already, then probably not as much. 
Fair enough. It does seem like, though, and again, we'll talk, we'll get into Rashad White right now, still only owned in 24.3% of ESPN leagues. Had a conversation about White with Dre McFarlane on the Sunday Night Review pod that, you know, we always do up until about 1.30 a.m. after those games. And the thought on Rashad White is I don't want people to get too carried away. It's a good role right now. The fact he got to start over Leonard Fournette. We got a little report today saying that he's probably expected to continue to be the starter. That's great. But, Nate, there's a difference between being the starter and being the every down workhorse and as long as Leonard Fournette is not injured we did get word that that hip injury is not believed to be a long-term issue I don't think White is all of a sudden going to be keeping Lenny on the bench like for the entire ball game could it end up being 60-40 White yes and that is fantastic that's going to put him you know in the weekly top 24 discussion just wouldn't get too carried away because we talked about on this podcast before the potential for Rashad White to be the most valuable handcuff in all fantasy football but that was under the assumption that Leonard Fournette would be getting hurt and be completely out of the picture. So, Nate, with Rashad White and Leonard Fournette, how do you see this committee working moving forward? Because, again, I'm not all that confident that Fournette, even if he is now the RB2, is going to be someone that's completely out of the picture on a week-to-week basis. I think it'll at least start out being 60-40, assuming Fournette is healthy enough in their next game. But I think it's a fluid enough situation that part of you adding White is in the hopes that this becomes more of White's backfield. We saw Ronald Jones be go from the starter to being a part-time player to barely playing at all in Tampa Bay in recent seasons. So Tampa Bay is not afraid to give one of the running backs 80% plus of the snaps. So if White can outperform Fournette in these next couple games, I could see it reaching a situation where White's playing over 80% of snaps, and that's better than almost all fantasy running backs out there. So I think part of picking up White is not just He can be a borderline fantasy starter in these next few weeks, but there's a chance that he can be one of these elite guys at the end of the season. I equated uh, the Buccaneers, you know, 21-16 win, similar to what the Broncos were able to do in their last win in London, where it's just sad that this 21-point uh, performance felt like such a fresh of uh, such a breath of fresh air. My goodness, Ian, because this really has just been such a rough offense performance all season long. A Tom Brady-led offense has more than 22 points in one game this season. Nate, it's week 11. So, yes, they did get back on track a little bit, but I would want everyone to keep in mind this is not necessarily a juggernaut offense we were hoping to see maybe they are getting back on the right track again goblin first touchdown of the season last week julio scored they had 161 rushing yards that is the first time they even had 70 more than 75 rushing yards since week one so it's one of those things where we're with rashad white i agree with the general sentiment that he looks a little more explosive has a little more wiggle to his game than leonard fournette but really up until last week fournette all the numbers you want to look at yards per carry yards after contact those were honestly slightly in the favor of Fournette both guys bad but it wasn't like a you know Khalil Herbert David Montgomery Tony Pollard Ezekiel Elliott situation where the backup is just so much more efficient than the starters so again 60-40 I think is fair and when you can find a running back that's expected to see 60% of their you know team snaps on the waiver wire we'll pick him up anyway just realize I don't think we're gonna be taking Rashad White and penciling him in as a top eight you know player at the position once the Buccaneers are back from their week 11 bye so again only owned in 243 percent of ESPN leagues I wish that you know Nate as an uh you know in what well, I don't even know my record in our freaking PFF league right now you beat me last week I appreciate you not uh bringing it up on your own but wish I was in some of these leagues where uh you know Rashad White allegedly out there in 75 percent plus so God forbid he is out there on your waiver wire don't be afraid to go get him and you might not even need to go 
all in, all in on the fab because he is on by this week. And with, you know, four other teams on by overall, could be a lot of teams out there not having the bench room to actually go stash him. Now, the main event, Nate, resident Packers fan, big time win here last week over the Cowboys, big time player being Christian Watson, not one, not two, three touchdowns, even was doing the Justin Jefferson college, you know, Selly with it. Got to love that. So with Watson really saw him finally just be healthy, man. That's been the problem with him throughout this entire season. He was healthy in week one, drops that long touchdown, but almost immediately after that hamstrings, concussions, guy just hasn't been able to be out there on the field. That said, he has looked explosive all season long, even before he had this three touchdown performance. And obviously all that came to fruition last week against what has been a really, really good Cowboys defense. So on the one hand, Nate, I don't want to get too carried away to just one performance, but it's not just the thing I think that helps us separate what Christian Watson did from some random jag that goes out there and scores three touchdowns, which also I don't think that scenario happens all that often, but it's not just the one big performance. It's the fact this is a guy with top 35 draft capital. This is a guy in an offense that is a walking graveyard at wide receiver, similar to what we were talking about last week with Alan Lazard, all of a sudden not having any competition for the targets. All that still applies to Christian Watson as well. So Nate, we have a player catching passes from the back-to-back and reigning MVP. And we have a player in offense without that many target competition, uh, target competitors around to really be making too many issues for Christian Watson what do you think his ceiling is the rest of the way? I know you publish your rest of the season rankings each and every week on PFF.com. Like, are we just already ranking Christian Watson ahead of Alan Lazard? Let's go. It's a season. Or is this more of a Romeo Dobbs, solid wide receiver three, maybe has the upside for more if last week was a sign of better things to come for this Packers passing game? I still have Lazard ranked higher right now just because he's more consistently been scoring touchdowns throughout the season. But I think Watson definitely has a ton of potential It also helps me knowing that the Packers have tried to get him more involved in the offense before getting hurt in earlier games. There were reports that he was supposed to be heavily involved in the game plan against the Bills. Um, There was one game in the past month where he started over Dobbs and then just got hurt three or four plays into the game. So we didn't get to see if he was truly going to remain the starter above Dobbs. But it was good to see his playing time also highly above Sammy Watkins, just clearly ahead of him, even though the Packers finally had three of their top five wide receivers healthy, which that in itself was an accomplishment for the team (laughs) to both start and end the game in that situation. But over the course of him playing, not just in this game, but all of his games, a 25% target target per run, which is very solid, especially for a rookie wide receiver. So I think there's definitely a chance that he could keep up being the Packers potentially top target the rest of the season. I never thought that Watson was drafted to be the Devontae Adams replacement. If anything, I think it made more sense for him to be the MBS replacement. So, yes, I do think there's a bit of a boom or bust style to his game. But, guys, we just saw the boom. There's a lot of players out there that aren't boom or bust players. They are bust or met players, and those are not really the guys that are going to be able to single-handedly win us a week when they are able to boom. So, moving forward, you look at the Packers' schedule. Again, hasn't exactly been all that easy over the past few weeks, and it's not complete roses moving forward, but they're very the Titans this week at Philly in week th- week 12. That's not going to be easy. But then they get the Bears, a bye, a Rams team with very little to seemingly play for uh, moving forward. Dolphins, Vikings, Lions to end the season. So not the craziest thing to see Rodgers and company start catching their stride. Maybe just maybe putting up some of these bigger counting numbers moving forward. Now that their schedule is chilling out just a little bit too. 
top quarterback edition of the week is going to be Lions QB Jared Goff, still only owned in 36.2% of ESPN League. So, Nate, we haven't seen Jared Goff put up the same sort of gaudy counting numbers that he really was throughout the first part of the season. I mean, look, when you look at the first five weeks of the season for Jared Goff, I believe he went ahead and had, I have it up right here. There we go. 11 passing touchdowns in the first four games of the season, just five passing touchdowns over his last five weeks combined. So that said, TJ Hawkinson trade didn't help. DJ Chark's been on IR with an ankle injury. Jamison Williams still no sign of coming back. Even Josh Reynolds has been out with a back injury at this point. So we have a Monroe St. Brown. DeAndre Swift allegedly getting healthier, even though Dan Campbell maybe not all that convinced and continues to not play the guy. But the big thing for Jared Goff is we have seen a good four-game stretch from him this season, Nate, where he can put up these numbers and that schedule moving forward looking awfully good relative to the other QBs we're seeing on the waiver wire. Uh, yeah, he has the fourth easiest schedule for quarterbacks, according to our strength of schedule tool over the rest of the season. So that's a big reason why he's the top player. And the fact that all these players are injured, at least hopefully some of them will either be healthier or back by the in the next couple of weeks. And a lot of the quarterbacks who are both available and put up at least decent numbers this past week have much more difficult schedules the rest of the way. Or some of them are in danger of not remaining the starting quarterback over the rest of the season where... I'm guessing Goff should be pretty safely the Lions starting quarterback over the rest of the year. Panthers and Bears in week 16 and 17, even in that Chicago game from the friendly confines of Ford Field in that dump. So, no, we don't have to worry about that weather. So, Jared Goff, if you need one for this week, I do think it's a reasonable enough spot against the Giants. And then moving forward, like, no, we're not going to be starting them every single one of these weeks. But hopefully, you listen to Nathan and I's top QB streamer for what, Nate, probably like week five to week 10, that being Justin Fields. So, we're finally on to Jared Goff because Fields finally got that ownership rate at an appropriate amount but yes Jared Goff still out there and no Matthew Stafford still in the concussion protocol Kyler Murray still dealing with the hamstring injury not slowly but surely not that many great options at quarterback either just like we're seeing at tight end Nate so unfortunate news coming out that Zach Ertz will be missing the remainder of the season with that knee injury and that does elevate Trey McBride seemingly to tight end one status now I was with you, Nate, in the offseason talking about the, you know, handcuff kind of potential of Trey McBride. I was worried about Max Williams, who actually started the first four games for them last season. And when he got hurt, that's what kind of caused the Cardinals to trade for Zach Ertz in the first place. However, in October, like Max Williams is still on the practice squad. Maybe it happens. But the fact that they demoted him and basically released him and re-signed him about a month ago, that's not giving me the sort of vibes that he's actually going to be coming in, Nate, and taking back a job from McBride that we saw last week when Ertz left, true every down roll. So, look, still a Cardinals offense that we've seen more bad from good than I think DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore and even Marquise Brown pretty soon are going to be working ahead of Trey McBride. That said, Zach Ertz and even Max Williams before him have played true every-down roles in this offense. And in Trey McBride's case, this isn't just some random backup tight end. This is consensusly considered the number one receiving tight end from this class. What are your expectations for McBride here over the next six, seven weeks of the season? I think there's a couple of tight ends that are available this weekend. McBride's by far the biggest gamble because he has seen some playing time throughout the season and they really just haven't been targeting him. So we haven't seen much so far this season, but he did play 54-55 offensive snaps in the past three quarters this past week. So at least right now, it looks like he'll have that every down tight end role, which some of these tight ends that you're considering starting don't have that role. There's at least a chance that Max Williams will come up from the practice squad, maybe take 10% or 20% of those snaps, which 
could hurt his value a little bit, but we really just need to see him get targets to know how good he can play, which he hasn't had this season. So I think he has the highest upside of all of the tight ends that we'll be talking about today, but there's also a chance that he just might not get thrown the ball that much. Again, big five waiver wire additions of week 11. Number one, Chiefs running back Isaiah Pacheco. Number two, Buccaneers running back Rashad White. Number three, Packers wide receiver Christian Watson. Number four, Lions quarterback Jared Goff. And number five, Cardinals tight end Trey McBride. So as usual, Nate, quarterback tight end with your fab allocation. I don't think you need to go crazy. That said, we are in week 11. So I do think with guys like Pacheco, like Rashad White, like Christian Watson, I'm willing on those guys. Again, if you're an RB needy team, if you're a wide receiver needy team, let's go. Just use up whatever fab you got left because, hey, Nate doesn't carry over into the next season, at least not in any leagues I'm in at the moment. So are you cool with that? Watson, White, Pacheco, let's just go get the guys if you need them. Uh, Yeah, definitely. And with tight end, there were at least six guys that I thought would be decent waiver wire targets. So there's a lot of different players that you can just throw one or two dollars on and hope you get one of them and then you'll be happy. Very fair point about Trey McBride. We will get to the rest of those tight end targets in just a minute. First, we're going to go through the other positions. So at quarterback, again, Jared Goff is going to be the big signing of the week. But we did see Kenny Pickett actually flash some upside in his own right. So, man, Nate, watching that, you know, not to not to overly brag, but watching the all 22 of that uh, Steelers performance out there, it really was alarming just how often Deontay Johnson and George Pickens were running free. And again, mentioned it in the Sheesh report. Yeah, a lot of missed opportunities from Pickett out there that said he did throw that real nice drop touchdown to Najee Harris and he had even a QB sneak I believe he now has three rushing scores on the year so we've seen a little bit of rushing upside from the guy and again this passing game Deontay Pickens Pat Frymouth they're all wet there are weapons all over the place and finally to see that schedule lighten up just a bit you know I kept mentioning throughout the you know initial parts of the picket era uh they just didn't want the service man honestly like it's the same the Steelers and Mike Tomlin, and I understand Mike Tomlin, the track record is incredible. They just did the same exact thing that we all cursed Matt Nagy and the Bears for, like, you know, just end, end, end on end and basically cost Nagy and company his job with Justin Fields last year. I mean, the fact they waited until, what, week four, halftime of week four to put Kenny Pickett in just against a terrible schedule. Mitch Trubisky had been getting all the starter refs. It just seemed uh, irresponsible, and I don't know what they were gaining from it. So all that aside, he is the guy out there now. We have the Bengals this week in a potential shootout. After that, in Indy and Atlanta, ball. Baltimore, Carolina, Raiders, and Ravens down the stretch. So all of a sudden, Nate, if, and it's a big if, because we have not seen much shine from Pickett yet, God forbid Pickett starts playing like that first-round talent he was drafted to be. Out of all the quarterbacks out there on the waiver wire, I'm not saying he's to be cracking the top 10 or 12, but similar to Jared Goff, I think the reason you have Pickett alone with Jared Goff in this section, he actually might be able to give us a few extra good weeks down the stretch because of how his schedule is shaking out. Uh, yeah, big reason is the schedule, like you said, his rushing, he set a career high in rushing attempts with eight this week after having a previous career high of seven, which he set last week, that led to 51 rushing yards. So his floor is getting a little bit higher and a little bit higher each week with that rushing production. And then from there, like you said, we're just all rooting for the potential with the schedule and the talent around him. So he's not someone that I pick up to put in my starting lineup this week, but he's someone to pick up that if he could become a fantasy quarterback by the playoffs, then he could be a league winner at that time. 
Moving on to running back. I already talked about our guys, Isaiah Pacheco and Rashad White. Five more running backs out there that aren't even owned in 40% of ESPN leagues could give you, honestly, a little bit of standalone goodness in addition to some quality handcuff upside. So we still have Brian Robinson here, only owned at 37.5% of ESPN leagues. I've gotten, you know, some DMs, which I apologize, you know, to you guys out there for not getting to nearly enough of them. Just always hard, you know, during in season. But as always, join that PFF fantasy football community on on Twitter and we get to many of your start sick questions every single Sunday morning. But with Robinson, I don't know why he plays ahead of Antonio Gibson. There is not a stat out there that paints him as a better rusher, receiver, blocker, whatever. Believe me, I have looked. That said, Nate, doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. Ron Rivera loves giving Brian Robinson the ball. So we have seen in this offense this season, okay, not be fantastic, but with Heineke and even once under center, they have shown at least something close to a ceiling in terms of being able to put up, you know, 20, 30 points uh, from time to time. So with Brian Robinson, I think the important thing here, Nate, is similar to what we were talking about with Pacheco earlier, where this backfield right now is not three backs, it's two backs. J.D. McKissick continuing to miss time with that neck issue. So, hey, do I think Robinson is going to, you know, make 70 yards out of three? No, I think he's the epitome of that. You need three and a half yards, he'll get you three and a half yards. You need four and a half yards, he'll get you three and a half yards type of running back out there. But overall thoughts on Brian Robinson and maybe if he can even distance himself from Antonio Gibson moving forward, because again, I don't really know why, but if God forbid something happens to Antonio Gibson, same thing if something happens to Brian Robinson, suddenly they're a last guy standing. And as we've seen before, all that sweet, sweet volume can quickly overcome an otherwise man offensive environment. I think right now he definitely needs J.D. McKissick to stay injured. He has a neck injury, and I think Washington will continue to be cautious with that neck injury. So we should see at least a few more weeks of this two-man backfield. I think Robinson is mostly playing more on early downs because they want to try to split the snaps between the two. They split them fairly evenly last night. So I think that's the main reason why Robinson's a primary runner is because Gibson's the primary receiver. And if McKissick comes back, I think that'll hurt Robinson's value a bit. But for now, I think Washington's schedule is very good, especially these next couple opponents are very strong for the Washington running backs. So I think Robinson will see the volume in the short term, and that'll be good enough to put him in your fantasy lineups, even though he's probably not going to be a top 10 or top 15 fantasy running back anytime soon. I mean, his touches, again, coming into last week, I'm not trying to be a dick, everyone. I know it's a great story. And the dude came back to many men by 50 Cent. Like, how how much of a cooler start could you have coming back from that? I'm rooting for the guy just like you guys are. That said, touches this season, 9, 17, 22, 8, 15, 26. That seems excessive for a guy who entering last week single worst running back in the NFL in terms of yards per touch. So maybe just one of these days, Nate, we don't need five, six yards per carry. One game over 3.7, you know, maybe, maybe, Nate, maybe. We'll see what happens. But, yes, if J.J. McKissick is going to stay out of the picture, at a minimum, Robinson and Gibson in that two-back committee, you can expect some solid flex weeks and just one more injury away from being in that top 15 conversation on volume alone. Next up, we do have Ravens running back Gus Edwards, still only owned in 34% of ESPN leagues. Now, we got Harbaugh saying that everyone's, you know, going to be out there and be just fine after the uh, bye week. Now, I think Harbaugh, to a lesser extent than someone like Pete Carroll, does tend to be a little bit optimistic when discussing some of his players' injuries. So, with Gus Edwards, Nate, it's not a guarantee that he's going to, you know, take over this backfield. We are expecting J.K. Dobbins to be back at some point. We've seen Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake maintain involvement as well. That said, 
even if it's back to J.K. Dobbins being the lead back, the difference between their usage between uh, Dobbins and Gus Edwards has always been overinflated relative to what we've actually seen in their time together. So with Gus Edwards, if Dobbins doesn't come back, we're looking at a potential touchdown dependent RB2 like he really was in his first game back from injury. Even if Dobbins does come back, though, I'd be surprised to see Gus finishing with under, with fewer than 10 touches more weeks than not moving forward, Nate. And when you look at this Ravens offense, especially this week, implied for the second most points of week 11, that's not the worst role to have. You know, yeah, do we want 20 touches? Okay, but 10 to 12 in the Ravens offense, you could do worse. Oh, yeah, I think he definitely will have 10 to 12 touches regardless of who else is healthy throughout the rest of the season. That's what he's done in the past whenever he's been healthy, and I think that'll continue. I don't see Dobbins with all the injury stuff that's happened to him over these past two years to be a guy that'll get 60-plus percent of the snaps anytime for the rest of the season. So I think Edwards is a safe 10-plus carries per game. He typically averages at least five yards per carry with how good the Ravens' offense is and how good he is running the ball so the Ravens also have the third easiest schedule once the fantasy playoffs hit so yeah you might not trust him this week coming back from the bye week and coming back from injury but he's someone that I think can definitely be in your fantasy starting lineups when you need a running back the most a guy that we've been talking about a lot over the past month or so, Kyron Williams, Rams rookie running back, finally made his season debut last week, still only owned 15% of ESPN leagues. And I'm not certain that he's exactly going to be someone, you know, booming up with that percentage because there are guys like Pacheco, White, Brian Robinson, and even Gus Edwards. I think we can feel better about their role right now, about their role right now. But again, Nate, I'll keep complimenting you because it was a great point you made a couple of weeks ago. He does stay as that lottery ticket, and there just aren't a lot of lot a lot of lottery tickets out there on the waiver wires. So the one thing I will say with Kyron is I think some of his numbers from last week, and they aren't good, but even then they're a little bit inflated because he did not touch the ball until the Rams last drive of the game. That said, once he started touching it, man, I know they're down defense, you know, wasn't exactly pinning their ears back and, you know, completely doing their thing to try to shut down the Rams offense, prevent mode and all that. That said, the guy touched the ball four times. He gained nine, 10, six, and 14 yards. It's a lot better than what we've seen from pretty much anyone else in this Rams backfield. So it does seem like the Ronnie Rivers experiment is over. They cut Malcolm Brown on Saturday when he got ruled out with a hamstring injury. Kind of seems like a dick move, but okay, he's out of the picture. Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, I think we see enough evidence that McVay is not going to completely turn the backfield back over to them. So, Nate, I would not feel confident starting Kyron Williams next week. Again, he was only used really in garbage time, but but for a team that Matthew Stafford's still in the concussion protocol, Cooper Cup just got put on IR. There's not much to be optimistic about in LA. Would it be the craziest thing to see Sean McVay, Sean McVay say, F it, we're just going to feature our rookie running back at this point? Because, again, in a meaningless moment of the game, he still was one of a, a rare bright spot in what's otherwise been a brutal offense. So how, like, how would you rate Kyron Williams' chances of eventually taking over this backfield here moving forward? Um, I think part of it will depend on the Rams' playoff chances that they can stay in the wild card hunt at all. Then it might not be too high, but if the Rams get to a point where they're out of the playoffs, then they need to figure out what they have at running back for next year. So that could be an opportunity for Williams to see a ton of playing time. Uh, what I was really encouraged by is the Rams did use him in a variety of situations. He played on early downs, saw a goal line snap, saw a third down snap, played a lot in a two-minute drill. So they're at least comfortable using him in every kind of situations, even though a lot of it was in garbage time. So the Rams are one of the few teams that have shown in the past that they're okay with a running back playing 
over 80% of snaps. We've seen Cam Akers have that role. We've seen Daryl Henderson have that role. So there is a chance that Williams will have that role where we were just talking about Washington, where it takes two or three injuries for someone to potentially see close to 80% of snaps. So it's a combination of the offense and a rookie player who we don't know who he is yet. So there's a chance that he could have that huge role at some point this season. Study I did, I think in July or August coming into this year, was just getting an idea of like how many teams are actually willing to give their running backs that workhorse role that you just mentioned. So I used the 90% snap threshold and it was just like, hey, what play callers have actually given this out at one point or another? And the Cardinals were in there. The Rams were in there. The Vikings were in there because Kevin O'Connell was coming from the Rams. Even the Cowboys were in there because back when Zeke, you know, was a little bit more dominant, they were willing to keep him on the field most of the time. The other team, Nate, that was in there, by far ahead of everyone else was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we saw that with Najee Harris last season, just volume on top of volume. So it didn't matter how inefficient he was. He had more than enough touches to make up for it. The problem this year for Najee is that rookie Jalen Warren has been getting more and more involved. And you look at last week and it got closer than ever following their bye. 48 plays for Najee Harris, 34 for Jalen Warren. And man, Goal line, they each had two snaps on early downs. Yeah, it's still leaning in the favor of Najee, but man, third downs now. Jalen Warren, Najee, one of the allures of him was supposed to be his pass catching ability. And I think he's generally been good. I mentioned his touchdown drop from last week, but I'm not going to judge the guy's whole career on one miscue. The fact that they are featuring Warren more and more, Nate, and he's doing good. I mean, he had a sick hurdle last week where he actually, one of the rare times I've seen a guy hurdle someone and like accelerate through it. Usually they, you know, they got to jump really high to clear another human. It's a pretty hard thing to do. I'm not trying to sit here as, you know, the all-knowing hurdle master or anything like that. But usually, you know, you see the guy sky so high and their momentum kind of gets stopped. Warren's efficient in everything he does, and in the same situation as Najee, he's been better. I thought briefly on Sunday night that it might have been a situation where Najee Harris had a really good run, lowered his shoulder. He got banged up for a second, and I thought maybe that had you know taken this from more of a 70-30 situation to the 60-40 situation we saw. But actually rewatching the game, Najee was back out there on the next drive in the first snap. So this situation really did shrink after the bye, something that – you know, beat writers, I think we're talking about maybe a more total takedown, but similar to what we saw from Isaiah Pacheco, like, I don't want to give up on the idea of Jalen Warren taking over this backfield, just one game out of the bye. Sometimes it takes several. And at the end of the day, Nate, the reason why we keep on mentioning Warren each and every week out here is because even if he doesn't get the takeover, he's one injury to Najee Harris away from being a legit top 12, 15 back. I know we're not ranking Najee as that right now, but that's because Jalen Warren is there. If Najee goes down, I really don't think they're going to have a third running back elevated the same way to be taking snaps away from Jalen Warren. So, Nate, talk about, again, the chances of Warren, you think, to have standalone value. Because, again, there's a reason why last week, you know, we had him as a tier one handcuff and we have all season long. We know what the handcuff upside looks like in Pittsburgh, but could you actually see Warren now maybe just becoming the 1A sooner rather than later? Um, I can see it a lot better this week now that we just saw Pacheco and White do those two things for yeah. those two teams. So it feels more optimistic that more late round or undrafted rookie running backs are doing this. But Warren, like you said, has been playing very well throughout the season and has limited opportunities. He's been doing this every weekend. He's slowly but surely getting more and more of the role. He's been pretty consistently seeing the third down snaps now, starting to see more work on early downs, which is great to see. And the Steelers are another team where 
they're probably not going to make the playoffs. So they might as well try to see what they have in the rookie late in the season. And it's also something where if Harris does get an injury at some point, they're more likely to shut him down because teams that are out of the playoffs more likely to shut down their players late in the season. So Warren definitely has a chance to be the every down guy at some point this year. So he's just another guy that, yeah, we've talked about five or so other running backs already, but just someone to gamble on and hope that he has that starting role by the time the fantasy playoffs hit. I don't know. It would just be keep an eye on Eagles scat back Kenneth game. Well, still only owned a 9.4% of league. So look, you know, on Monday night, only had one carry and two targets, pretty disappointing in a game where the Eagles, you know, we're finally experiencing some of this negative trailing game script. Just realize something happens to Miles Sanders. Yes. Boston Scott will be involved, but I do think Kenneth game will very similar to Don Trail Hilliard. Again, we talked about these handcuffed tiers last week, guys where no, they're not going to be Austin Eckler, but a middle-class man's version of Austin Eckler, still could be cracking that top 24 one injury away from doing that so again quickly rounding up these running backs Isaiah Pacheco and Rashad White two guys that are profiling as their team starters moving forward no it's not going to be complete workhorse variety of the role but they're starting running backs on the waiver wire in over 75% of ESPN leagues don't be afraid to go out there and get them don't be afraid to blow all your remaining fab to get them if you are an RB needy team I think there's a tear drop off after that and then we have guys like Brian Robinson and Gus Edwards, who maybe not exactly starters, you know, they're in basically just split down the middle, even committees, Brian Robinson with Antonio Gibson, Gus Edwards likely with a Dobbins, Drake, or Justice Hill, or some messed up combination of those guys. But with Robinson and Gus Edwards, we're feeling good about their ability to have 10 to 15 touches per game. And that's all we can ask for sometimes in fantasy land. That said, Nate, I would think Kyron Williams and Jalen Warren have slightly higher upside. So if you need someone for this week you have buys to phone stuff i'm cool at robinson and gus edwards over them but i think higher upside the rest of the season i would prioritize kyron and Jalen warren warren over kyron is that fair nate oh yeah i think that's fair fantastic and with that let's move on to wide receiver as we do here uh you know with this wide receiver position it's a weekly reminder that if you are somehow in the 31.5 percent of leagues where uh rondale moore is not owned please go out there and get him as we've talked about now really for weeks you know rondale moore he had the two duds but those completely coincided with aj green being out with robbie anderson not being a full-time member of the team yet so why do aj green and robbie matter because when they're not there when they are there excuse me Rondell Moore gets that slot friendly PPR just friendly they're feeding him targets out of the slot and he's doing great things with it so Rondell Moore I know well over 50 percent but just keep an eye out for him God forbid he is out there same thing with George Pickens still only owning 61.8 percent of ESPN leagues and what was good to see about George Pickens last week too Nate was they designed him two or even three rush attempts he got the uh, touchdown after Najee got them down to the one yard line did the inside handoff to Pickens and had a reverse that man he stepped out of bounds but you know a couple inches away from maybe busting that one down the sideline so i know we haven't seen you know the consistent two three week period of excellence yet from pickens but a lot of the same things we talked about with Pickett, that soft schedule down the stretch also applies to these wide receivers if you are in one of the almost 40 percent of leagues with george pickens still available don't be afraid to go get him we talked about christian watson already in the willingness to blow all your remaining fab on him and that takes us to nate Another quality player that I think could actually give us a lot of upside down the stretch, Browns wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones. Been on one hell of a hot streak lately, and unfortunately, 
for the Browns, their offense hasn't been the one letting them down. I mean, Jacoby Brissett, yeah, hasn't been great. I've seen the counting numbers. He's Jacoby Brissett. This is the 10th ranked scoring offense in the NFL. The problem is their defense is second to last in both scoring and EPA allowed per play. That said, Nate, we have now had six consecutive games of Donovan Peoples-Jones having at least 50 yards. And hell, in five of those six games, he's even cleared the 70-yard mark. So, no. Hasn't scored yet this season. The Browns are one of the most run-heavy teams inside the 10-yard line. They got Cooper, David Njoku there. But, man, we are now only two more games away from Deshaun Watson returning. And when Watson's out there, man, of course Amari Cooper's still going to be the number one. But it's not crazy to think Dalvin Peoples-Jones could be a top-30 option by the time this season is over if he does emerge as Watson's clear-cut field structure. So, for now, Nate, I I don't know that DPJ is going to be cracking my top 36 for this week. Maybe he will with the buys, but... But again, for me, facing the Bills this week and then the Buccaneers next week, I'm not so happy about having DPJ for those matchups, but it's week 13 and on for the playoff stretch where it does seem like people Jones offers far more upside than a lot of other players that we're going to find on the waiver wire. Uh, yeah, I mentioned in the fantasy playoffs, he has a 30 easiest schedule for wide receivers. So that's definitely a big boost for him. It also helps that there really isn't that much competition for targets in Cleveland outside of their two wide receivers. Hopefully David Nujoku is able to get healthy in these next couple of weeks, which will hurt Peoples-Jones' value, but definitely want everyone to be healthy. But uh, Peoples-Jones, it really will depend on if Deshaun Watson is able to be the same player he was right away, and he was someone who was really good at feeding deep receivers. Um, will Fuller did excellent with Houston as well, Andre Hopkins. And those two together, Peoples-Jones could fill the Will Fuller role, and he was a great fantasy option at times. So I could definitely see Peoples-Jones having some big games and finally scoring some touchdowns if Watson is the same player he was before. Well, Fuller, if you're listening, man, we still love you here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Devin Duvernay, 41.1% ownership there in ESPN leagues. He had a dud before the bye, Nate. There's a chance that people just weren't able to keep him. Don't forget, though, Rashad Bateman out for the rest of the season, and Duvernay does project to be the Ravens wide receiver one moving forward. So, again, I don't think Duvernay is someone that we're going to be firing up as a top 20 option at any point. But in a high-scoring Ravens offense, you can do worse than anybody getting potentially five or six opportunities per game to touch the ball in there. Finally going to rip through just another five or six receivers that we've already spent a lot of time talking about. But if they are out there, you could do worse than adding them to the squad. Kadarius Tony still available in 52% of ESPN. ESPN leagues. Now, we can't feel fantastic about firing him up yet because even though last week he looked good with the ball in his hands and he was getting thrown the ball a lot when he was out there, still on offense with Miko Hurt, with Juju Smith-Schuster Hurt, willing to put MVS Sky Moore and Justin Watson, amongst others, out there even ahead of Tony at this point in time. So the role's still climbing. I want Tony in every league I am in if possible because, God forbid, he does get that starting role. The ceiling is the freaking moon with Patrick Mahomes under center. Just realized right now now, at least for week 11, we can't be super confident in Tony's overall snap-to-snap usage. OBJ, you know, timeline continues to get pushed back, Nate. There's some weird reports where it's like, oh, he's making this decision really soon now. Like, we should probably get it after Thanksgiving. So, I, I, I don't know when we're going to get OBJ back. But, again, he's going to – he's his wish list seemingly is, you know, narrowed down to pretty damn good teams, all with fairly fantasy-friendly openings at wide receivers. So, Deeper leagues, OBJ still available in over 70% of them. Also have Jarvis Landry, Isaiah McKenzie, Corey Davis, and Nico Collins finalizing things out. Out of those four, Nate, Landry, McKenzie, Davis, and Collins, if I give you one dart, who are you going to try to throw it at? 
Um, probably McKenzie at this point. I know he hasn't put up the greatest stats in recent weeks, but his amount of playing time has just been increasing a little bit week after week after week. It's just going straight up at this point. So they at least are trusting him on the field over their backup wide receivers. So I think McKenzie could definitely have some big weeks late in the season. Moving on now to tight end. Our member, our top tight end ad of the week is going to be Cardinals tight end Trey McBride. I mean, 0.3% ownership in ESPN. Why wouldn't you have the guy when Zach Ertz was there? Unfortunately, Zach Ertz no longer going to be there. So that takes us to our other three options. And I think the big thing here, Nate, like we talked about with McBride, is having that offense, having the opportunity to be an every down player because it's just so hard in a lot of these offenses that rotate, even two, like God forbid, three or four. But when there's not a one full, time tight end involved we just usually can't get many fantasy points from them so the top three tight ends we have this week other than trey mcbride Bengals tight end hayden hurst only owned 48 percent of espn leagues also have raiders tight end foster moreau only owned a 10.7 percent of leagues remember darren waller on ir going to be missing at least the next three weeks if not more what exactly do they have to play for at this point seemingly and finally bears tight end cole Komet at 38.5 percent ownership in espn leagues so with moreau and Comet, we have 100% already seen that full-time role on a week-to-week basis. With Hayden Hurst, I think it's more of a thing where, yeah, we feel way better about the passing upside of the Cincinnati offense, both in terms of volume and efficiency. And he's been really banged up here over really since like week three or so of the season. Bengals coming off that week 10 bye. Hopefully Hurst is even healthier and able to play that bigger role, getting back to that, you know, 80% route rate, hopefully. And honestly, like losing to Chase in this offense continues to help the ceiling of Hurst, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd alike with Jamar Chase. Doesn't seem exactly imminent coming back. I believe the most recent update I saw was that week 13 against the Chiefs is probably the most realistic return date for Jamar Chase. So at least for these next two weeks, Nate, you know, Bengals getting a Steelers defense that we've seen be had by many a passing game. Same thing with the Titans. I do think, again, week 11 and week 12 only, Hayden Hurst would be the top at here. Oh, uh, yeah. He caught five passes in his last game on just 20 routes, and that was the game where the Bengals were up by a ton. So they took out all their starters by the fourth quarter, so they really didn't need Hurst that much. Right. I'm guessing they're not going to have 30-point leads in most of their games, so Hurst should be playing the whole game going forward. So I think he'll continue to have a fairly high target share and a chance to score plenty of touchdowns. And if they already get up 30 points, probably a decent chance that Joe Mixon is going to score every single one of them uh, every single week moving forward. So, yes, with Hayden Hurst continues to have an awfully fantasy-friendly role, I would not expect his, you know, four-game touchdown list streak to go much longer with Moreau. And, you know, I think Cole Colcomet's someone that, my goodness, the dude will not stop scoring touchdowns. Just realize Justin Fields has one game this season with more than 200 passing yards. And as great as he has been throwing those scores, I'm not exactly the confident that that touchdown rate is going to stay as high as it is. So, hey, Cole Komet, solid, solid, I think, borderline tight end one, maybe even a low-end tight end one moving forward. Just don't get too wrapped up in what's happened in the last couple of weeks. We are trying to project moving forward, and he's just been making the most out of a pretty small target share. So, Trey McBride, for the long-term future at tight end, you know, for the rest of the season, I do think he deserves to be the top ad of the week. After that, Hayden Hurst, especially for these next two weeks, Cole Komet, followed by Foster Moreau, going to finish off the tight end position. And that's going to finish off this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate you always joining me here, my friend Nate, and appreciate everything you do with PFF.com. Let people know the freaking laundry list of articles that you have available for everyone every single week. Have the recap of all the Sunday games as well as Monday Night Football up, the waiver wires that went up yesterday, 
Uh, rest of season went up today. Five to add, drop, buy low, and sell high went up. Make sure to check out your trade deadlines when those are, because those are coming up in a lot of leagues right now. So it's becoming your last opportunity to make trades. Uh, tomorrow will be my next week rankings, and then start set the day after that. Great day to be great. As always, make sure you give Nate a follow on Twitter as well, at PFF underscore Nathan Yonke, I believe. Nate Yonke. Nate Yonke. There's not enough characters for PFF underscore Nathan Yonke. Fair enough, my friend. All right, everyone. For Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks to those for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.